Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You don't need a PhD in 10 years of training to actually say, oh, this person's really upset. I wonder why. Let's see if I can help them instead of telling them shut up stop doing that why are you behaving like a spoiled brat or whatever you know you don't need to to behave like that just just try and comfort that person it's mentally yours from Ellen and a focus on your mental health you surely won't regret it's mentally 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 yours Mentally yours. Mentally yours. Welcome to Mentally Yours, Metro.co.uk's weekly podcast about all things mental health. I'm Ellen, and this week I'm talking to Rosie Cappuccino of the blog Talking About BPD. She recently won an award for her work raising awareness of borderline personality disorder, so we're going to be talking to her about mental health and what it's like speaking so openly about it. One thing I think is people get newly diagnosed with it and then, of course, they go to Google, they Google it and the things that come up there are just quite horrendous, actually. You know, the level of stigma and the level of misconceptions that you can encounter just from a quick Google search, which everybody naturally goes to, is quite frightening. And, you know, so many people do that and then think, oh, my God, I'll never have a relationship. I'll never have friends. You know, I'll never be able to do that thing that I was really looking forward to doing. Um And I guess one of the reasons why I do my blog talking about BPD is that I want people to know, actually, these misconceptions and stereotypes aren't true. So, you know, when I won the award, I got on stage. I just wanted to say that more than anything. Um, I also wish I'd said more about the waiting times and how accessing help is really, really difficult um, for a lot of people. Um, So that's something that maybe we can chat about as well. But like you say, those stereotypes are just horrendous. You know, you have people saying, oh, you know, you can't even look after a pet if you have BPD because, you know, you're dangerous or, you know, you're violent or whatever. And it's just obviously complete nonsense. So, What are some yeah. of the common misconceptions that you see popping up a lot? Um, 
I think it's sort of three main ones, really. Um, you've probably heard of it. The first one is that you're an attention seeker and a lot of the behaviours that you might see with people with BPD are, um, you know, just there for drama or just there for, like, attention. Mm-hmm. When actually, if people understand the level of emotions involved and the severity of the feelings and how intense they feel and how painful they feel, then people can understand why people behave in some ways. Like, if somebody's crying a lot or if somebody is, like really really upset you know that person is upset because they are feeling really upset you know Mm. they're not doing it just for fun you know it's not a fun game to do that and it should be taken seriously just because you know that person who's judging might not relate they might not understand that doesn't mean that that person doesn't feel that way and a little bit of empathy to that can go a long way Yeah, I think the attention-seeking thing is always an interesting one because there's such negative connotations around that. But if Mm -hmm. you're seeking attention, maybe it's because you do genuinely need help. Absolutely. It's a really puzzling thing. I find it absolutely baffling. I think you're right. It is baffling because a lot of the narrative in mainstream media as well is, well, ask for help and speak about things. So if you do ask for help in the time of need, then people need to be understanding of that. And I completely get that it can be a bit tricky to respond to that. People don't always know and even professionals don't always know. You know, that's why it takes people who are highly trained and specialised as well to to help people manage and that's obviously an area of need that professionals need to be trained well but also by the same token you don't need a phd in 10 years of training to actually say oh this person's really upset i wonder why let's see if i can help them instead of telling them shut up stop doing that why are you behaving like a spoiled brat or whatever you know you don't need to to behave like that just just try and comfort that person just respond like a nice human being basically i interrupted you so you were saying there were three main misconceptions so that's the first one yeah second i'd say the second one is about people with bpd are manipulative and it's this word that gets thrown around a lot and i think it's quite a sexist phrase as well Mm. um you know you hear a lot um phrases like oh they threaten to hurt themselves or they threaten to do this and threaten to do that it's not a threat to be malicious Mm. this is how somebody feels they feel maybe they feel really suicidal they feel like they're going to hurt themselves and things like that it's not because they're threatening that for attention or for drama um and so i think this manipulation thing is it's a really really dangerous stereotype um and it sort of typecasts people with bpd as not really in trouble or not really struggling they're Mm. actually just doing it for attention and i guess a lot of it i think just stems from people with bpd diagnosis often they have gone through some really hard things in life and maybe they have gone through some traumatic events um and some you know difficult circumstances and actually um when somebody is being so-called manipulative it might just be them looking for a human connection Mm. they might have been rejected by services they might have been rejected by family or friends obviously not everyone with bpd but you know i would say most people with bpd that i've spoken to have gone through an awful lot of rejection in their life for how they felt or maybe different circumstances that they've been through and um so to call somebody manipulative when actually it's more often than not someone just looking for connection or Mm. comfort or maybe even just looking to understand why they're feeling that way and it can be so confusing when you have bpd to feel one moment like really really happy 
laughing. <laughs> this happens to me all the time where I'm just laughing at something so funny. Yeah, I don't know, cute dog video or something. And then five minutes later, I'll get a text from a friend and I don't know, say they can't meet me or something. And then I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what did I do wrong? Oh no, I've offended somebody. I constantly think I've offended people and I haven't offended people, but I think I have. And then I'm just really upset by that. And it's just a snowball effect. And so it's just question of trying to catch yourself when you're thinking in those catastrophic ways but I'm certainly not doing that for dramatic effect and I've never been good at acting so <laughs> you know I think we need to understand that yeah it's not fun no, no. one is choosing to do this for like no. lols exactly nobody would do that for fun um and you know if somebody was I guess if somebody was trying to seek attention um this certainly wouldn't be pretending to have BPD because trust me it's difficult to access the treatment so yeah. why would you do that there are much easier routes to getting <laughs> actual attention yeah. so yeah. what's the third thing um the third thing I guess is that you know people with BPD um they don't they never feel better you know they're mm. doomed forever and um there's no point even helping people with BPD because you know they don't even accept help or this kind of thing you hear a lot of the time um phrases in like in professional context as well refusing to engage or so and so is difficult to to deal with or things like that and I guess people with BPD certainly can feel a lot better you know I have beyond uh, I've felt better beyond like measure beyond what I even dreamed I would do in actually quite a short space of time with the right help um, things improved for me like very very quickly I was actually quite shocked because I thought it would take years and years and years it was actually quite a quick turnaround once I got the help obviously the run-up to that was like 10 years long so that was a very long time um, but I would say that is a big misconception and I know quite a lot of people who I've talked to in real life and on social media have said to me like you know their doctors are telling them go away because you know we don't have help for you because you won't respond to this that and the other and well my attitude to that is if somebody's not um, improving under the help you're giving them give them different help mm. don't you know you don't keep I like what's the phrase like knocking on the door and expect someone to open it just go and try a different avenue you know you have to people have to be flexible in their approaches to people and one size doesn't fit all but just just because one treatment hasn't helped doesn't mean that they're not gonna you know something won't be better next time and with that's a different such approach. a dangerous myth as well because it gets rid of hope which is everything yeah if they're absolutely. saying you can't be helped you can't be fixed absolutely i mean i completely agree that it gets rid of hope but um also i think it just puts the pressure back on the individual yeah because the system is sort of saying well we're not doing anything for you so deal with it yourself or just put up and shut up and you know and actually now i've said shut up it's reminding me of how people <laughs> don't um want to talk about this for quite understandable reasons and you know, I completely get why people wouldn't want to talk about this. So how did you decide to talk about this? Because obviously you blog quite openly about BPD. Yeah, I do, but I haven't always done that. Mm. Um, in fact, the reason why I started doing it was because I didn't have anyone to talk to about it. You know, that was about five, six years ago now. And 
pretty much one of the first times I did decide to tell my friends about it. It went really horribly wrong. And I was like, okay, I better not say anything ever again then. What happened when you say it went wrong? Um, So we were at uni together and we were just like in one of the student cafes, like having a coffee, like I always do. And... um, and I just decided to tell my friend, oh, I've gotten di- diagnosed with BPD. Have you heard about this? Because um, I thought, you know, oh, well, I should be open about these things. You know, why should I hide? Da, da, da. Obviously, I was really nervous about telling her. And then she said to me, oh, yeah, I've heard all about this. And I was like, oh, wow, I've never heard of it before. So amazing. What do you like? What do you know? And she was like, oh, yeah, it's like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Oh, no. <laughs> Is it really like I don't think it's like a Victorian story about a man who murders people? Yeah, it's not. And so I laugh about that now because you know, looking back, I just have to laugh about that. But at the time, I was like, oh, is this what my life is going to be like now? Just not talking to people about this because I'm going to have really rude, offensive, like horrible stereotypes shoved in my face, basically. Mm. So that's when I was like, well. I'm very I'm a very chatty person as you can probably tell. <laughs> and I I guess I needed somewhere to t- to talk about this because I didn't really have anywhere that I felt like I could in my outside life, you know, my real life so to speak. So I just went online and started writing anonymously. And I was anonymous for maybe 3 years. It's probably in 2017 that I stopped being anonymous. And the only reason I I decided to show my face and my name was because people were kind of asking me to do things and kind of um, as in like go to the Mind Media Awards Mm. in 2017 and I thought well I wouldn't be able to go to these things or do you know I wouldn't be able to do a podcast if I couldn't show my face to people so I guess when I got a lot of positive feedback and it grew I just decided okay well I've got positive support online and people you know backing me up that I feel like I can do it in real life um, and that's what happened. And were then you, I started talking in real life. Were you nervous to kind of reveal who you were after being anonymous for so long? Um, do you mean online or with online. my like, real online. friends and stuff? Um, no, not really online. I, I was a little bit, because I'm, I'm also a teacher, so I was kind of scared about people seeing me. Mm. Um, you know, this is like a pen name, so to speak, like a pseudonym, because I don't want kids Googling me. Um, but yeah, I guess... I wasn't that nervous about showing my face online and people were saying, oh, we're so happy to see you because I think the thing about blogging is you get a lot of instant feedback and mm. I would encourage people if they feel like talking to people or they feel like expressing themselves or whatever, if they like writing, of course, it's not for everybody, then a blog is a good place to start because you can be completely anonymous mm. and you more than likely will get positive comments as well. And you can connect with people who are experiencing similar things as you. Exactly, which that's is really powerful. Thing. And at that time, I didn't have any help really. I got diagnosed, and then the doctor who diagnosed me, the psychiatrist who diagnosed me, told me, um, "We're not going to write this in your medical notes because if you write it in your medical notes, it will go against you." That's basically what she said. And so I was really confused. God, that's and awful. Like, that's why I didn't tell any doc- Like I didn't tell any GPs or I didn't tell anyone because I was just like, "Well, I don't really want to get judged." Because they were, "Oh well, you know, you're just finishing your degree, and you know, you've got this." you know good future ahead of you da 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 whatever like and I was thinking oh well I don't want it to go against me if my employers look up my notes and stuff I didn't really understand that they can't look up your medical Mm. notes without permission or without 
you know, it's, there's a legal barrier to that and stuff. But I was quite scared about people finding out mm. and then discriminating against me um, because I know that that sadly does happen. And also if a medical professional says something like that, you think, oh, maybe there is something to be... Like, maybe I should keep it yeah, quiet. Exactly. It's really damaging. Exactly. And, I mean, she was, um, you know, probably had 20 or 30 years of experience under her belt. So I was kind of like, well, OK, I'll listen to her. And I was really young and I was really scared at the time. So I was like, OK, I better not say anything about this. So I wouldn't even go on Twitter on the bus. So I was, like, completely covert about everything. Mm-hmm. I'd be, like, always checking, like, did I log out? I didn't want anyone to know that I was doing this secret blog and stuff like that. But... Now everything's completely different because I do talk about it a lot and I think it's through the blog that I could practice those conversations and I could practice um, talking about things so that I could then do it in with my friends and, when, you know, people in my life. And just get more comfortable talking about it. Yeah, definitely. And I guess you have to be in a position to be able to take the negative comments if you do talk about it which is why I would never tell anyone you should do that Mm. or you have to do that because I think um you know if you're already feeling upset or you're having a difficult time then when you go and talk about it and you get a negative comment which hopefully people don't but I know people do yeah I wouldn't want anyone to be like kicked when they're down so to speak so that's why I think it can be good to look for signals from people about whether they're going to be a good person to talk to or not if you can trust them not to be stigmatizing to you and judging you because that is a real risk with Mm -hmm. BPD can we go back to kind of when you were diagnosed what were you experiencing uh what led up to the diagnosis yeah um what didn't lead up to the (laughs) diagnosis to be honest um okay so it was I was at uni actually and it was in my third year and um it was actually February that I was diagnosed and in the December and November before then and the months leading up to that things had just become increasingly chaotic with me like I was really suicidal like every single day multiple times a day like I was just crying hysterically every day in my room like I couldn't really function at all and you know I'd been like to Amy a few times trying to get help but it kind of been like well you're fine you know you're doing your degree da, da, da. everything's good like you know it's it's kind of the questions people ask oh do you have friends yeah I have friends okay great or they'd be like oh so so what's your plan for the future and I'd like tell them and then they'd be like oh so how's your uni work going and I'd be like yeah it's going pretty well because you know it was all going well outside Mm. like externally nobody could see anything wrong so I just got dismissed you know it's kind of that stereotype of like she came to the appointment and she was wearing a nice hairband and she had a sparkly skirt on and she had makeup so she's fine it was a lot of that um thing going on um but then of course like it wasn't just that there'd been like a long history running up to that you know in the two years before that I'd been like extremely depressed for like Mm, several months like I couldn't leave the house for two three months like I couldn't barely leave my bed um I'd like I'd been at uni for my first year of uni and then two months into that I just I basically collapsed in the street like I'd had an eating disorder before that I was really depressed just couldn't cope with anything so I basically collapsed in the street and my mum like was there and she like drove me straight home um and so there'd been like quite a few things running up to that but 
I guess mainly it was just those intense emotions of like going really up, really up and really down. So, you know, I thought for a long time that I have bipolar because a lot of people were telling me, you know, you have depression. And I'd be like, okay, yeah, like, I guess I do because... I'm acting really depressed and I can't do anything and cry all the time and only thinking about dying and, you know, nothing was feeling good at all. But then also when I wasn't depressed, I would be like really depressed for a few minutes or a few hours and then 10 minutes later I'd be laughing and, you know, so it was just those really, really up and down emotions and a lot of emotions to do with people, like it was often linked to people. So it would be like if friends said certain things to me or interacted in a certain way but if they didn't then I'd be you know really upset so it was a lot of interpersonal situations that would be triggering it off Mm. that would trigger trigger off the emotions like very quickly as well so that's why doctor said to me well um you don't have bipolar because your ups and downs don't last that long like normally in bipolar not that I'm an expert it lasts longer than like the moves last longer than in BPD which is um, for people with BPD, I guess it's a blessing and a curse because in a good way it passes quickly, but in a bad way it's kind of like more confusing in a way because it's sort of, well, I don't have bipolar, so I don't know if it's confusing, but it's more like up and down, up and down, and you just don't know what's going to happen in the next few minutes. Yeah, I mean, she was scary. It's not yeah. no control, no feeling of control. Yeah, no, I think for a lot of years you're absolutely right. Like I just didn't really have control because. Mm. I'd just be doing something and then I'd just be like crying in the toilets and then I'd come out and I'd be like, I'm fine and then I'm not fine and then I'm fine and then, you know, just didn't really know where you were at. I mean, luckily now it's just so much better for me and stuff like that doesn't happen as much now, which is good. How do you manage your BPD now? Um, I think it's been a learning process, I guess. Um, A lot of it's been thanks to the DBT, which is dialectical behaviour therapy, which is which that's been really helpful for me um i couldn't access that in two of the cities i lived in um but now i live where i do it's my local area has that and i could access it but it's i know it's not available in every place in the country um before i could access it i was looking a lot of youtube videos online trying to learn myself and reading a lot of books trying to learn myself as well at home um it's really a lot of techniques to regulate your emotions and um you know it can be things like trying to notice when you're feeling a certain way and what to do about that or trying to see if your emotional reactions are kind of if they're in proportion to the situation and if they're not that's not because it's wrong or it's bad or like you shouldn't that shouldn't be the case but it's just trying to say okay well i'm crying on the floor and feeling suicidal because I don't know because I'm tired and I I don't know like a, a, I guess what other people would say is a small problem and I guess something quite small I don't know like somebody didn't reply to my text and I'm now thinking the world has ended but actually it's completely not and I know to pe- people listening they might think oh well that's ridiculous because you know you shouldn't do that but I guess people with BPD they just their emotions are so intense and they're just quite quick to come and quite slow to go down sometimes as well so things can just get quite dysregulated so it's just a question of learning which ways can regulate them for you and I'm obsessed with Harry Potter audiobooks so I just listen to them all the time um it's just I just distract myself sometimes as much as I can until it passes and then learning not to act on the feeling so if you feel like I don't know 
I had a really bad day at work and um, I think everybody at work hates me because I made one mistake and I go home and I'm thinking everybody at work hates me and I'm going to have to quit tomorrow. You know, it's just realising, okay, I feel that way and I felt that way many times before, but I'm not actually going to do that and I've never done that. So um, I just need to sleep and do some stuff that's going to help me wait until the storm passes sort of thing, Mm. which is not easy, trust me, but... No, it doesn't sound easy. (laughs) But it's good that you're saying it's something that you can learn and something you have to practice. Yeah, you have to practice and you have to do trial and error and you know there have been times when um I don't like my boyfriend helps me a lot and you know he understands really really well and he knows that I love Harry Potter and that normally helps me a lot and sort of one example would be he's like oh let me put like Harry Potter music on when you're feeling like really upset and I was like no please don't put that on please don't put that on because I just didn't want it to um be associated be associated Mm -hmm. but he was trying to help me and I thought it was the sweetest thing it's really sweet but I was just like so sometimes you have to try what's going to work because you think something's going to work and then it doesn't. But then if you try something the next day, it might work. And it does, you know, it's just a trial and error situation, I think. How can people support friends and loved ones with BPD? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think it's primarily just making sure that they're not buying into those stereotypes mm-hmm. that we discussed earlier. You know, I think the worst thing if a friend says something like oh I'm you know you always seem to be I don't know everything seems to be an overreaction or if somebody said oh you're why are you so sensitive all the time or things like that so it's about just trying to recognize that people with BPD genuinely have really intense emotions and reactions can be really strong and you know that can get better over time I guess it's just realising that and not buying into the the stereotypes and also just learning to empathise with that person as much as they can. I know not everyone can do that all of the time and I'm not perfect at it either, but it's just realising, oh, you know, today Rose is extra sensitive to things and, you know, she's really emotional. And also just recognising the positives of people with BPD as well. Um, which is something that you know my friends and my boyfriend are really good at because actually can bring a lot of positives as well you know generally generally speaking I would say you know all people I've met with BPD tend to be quite generous to other people as well and Mm. you know they they you know tend to be quite understanding to other people as well and I think there's a lot to be said for that and recognizing that people with BPD they're not just it's not all about bpd you know you know people do have other things going on in their life and other things that they enjoy and you know stuff that they're interested in and you know not everything has to be completely you know not your bpd is not everything about you you know at all so i think it's recognizing that as well If you've been affected by any of the issues we've discussed today, please contact the Samaritans on 116 123 or go to their website at samaritans.org. 
If you've enjoyed this episode, please give us a rate or review. Five stars would be lovely. Also, if you've enjoyed this, come and have a chat to us on Facebook. We've got a group called Mentally Yours. Also, we have a Twitter, which is Mentally YRS. Thanks very much to our producer, Juliette Nichols and Sam Bonham, and to our guest this week. See you next time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.